In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Today, the fourth Sunday of Advent, two days from the Feast of Christ's Nativity, we find ourselves at the climactic moment of this Advent season. Our anticipation for the coming of God is at a fever pitch, as it should be. We are waiting with bated breath. He is almost here. It's almost as if to instruct us then during these final hours of waiting that our gospel of the day, our canticle of the day, and our collect of the day all sort of team up with this common theme of God's visitation, the visitation of God. Did you notice that theme as we read and prayed? Our gospel is called commonly the visitation for Christians in the world who pray the rosary, Roman Catholic Christians, this is the second of the joyful mysteries that we meditate on. It's Mary's visit to Elizabeth. Our canticle is known as the Magnificat. It comes in the same chapter of Luke right after the story of the visitation. And the Magnificat or Mary's song is prayed in the east every morning and prayed in the west every evening. And then our collect of the day invites us to consider, did you catch this phrase, God's daily visitation in our own lives. Purify our conscience, we prayed. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation. So for the next few minutes, let's ask God, pulling all of these beautiful texts and prayers together, ask Him, what does it mean, God, to get ready for your visitation, not just on Christmas Day, not just on that final day when Christ returns, but what does it mean to get ready for your daily visitation in our lives? This is our theme for the day. Three takeaways from Luke 1, our gospel and our canticle and our collect about God's visitation. Let me give them to you all at once, and then we'll run through them one at a time. First, God's visitation happens, wouldn't you know it, in hidden places to seemingly insignificant people. Hidden places. Second, God's visitation, it happens in the midst, not in spite of, in the midst of your family chaos. And third, God's visitation, you may not believe it, but it has epic, world-changing, revolutionary implications, all right? God's visitation, it happens in unexpected and hidden places in the midst of chaos, but oh my goodness, the universal revolutionary implications. So take your scripture, Luke chapter 1, you'll find it. And if you need to find the Magnificat, you can find it on page 119 of the prayer book. You want to have these two texts in front of you. This is all of Luke 1, 39 and following. We get the first half of Luke 1, 39 and following in your gospel reading, which you'll find in the bulletin. The second part is Mary's song. That's the Magnificat, and you'll find it on page 119 of the Book of Common Prayer if you want the text in front of you. Here we go. First, God's visitation in this story happens in hidden places to seemingly insignificant people. That is to say, places and people that we might deem unimportant, on the fringe, middle of nowhere, off the radar. Of course, here's the catch. Here's the catch. In visiting these 
places and people, God shows us that actually no place and no person is insignificant to Him. I'm reminded of that great quote by a Dutch Reformed theologian, Abraham Kuyper. He said this, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, Abraham Kuyper. Where do we see this in the gospel text? God coming into hidden places, three places. First, notice God's visitation happening in the womb of a human. In the womb of a woman, you can't see him. You wouldn't know that he's there. Nevertheless, God shows up in the womb of Mary. It's a great uh, line from an, an old ancient Eastern Orthodox hymn. He whom the entire universe could not contain was contained within your womb, O Theotokos, mother of God. First place we find God in this passage is in the womb of a woman. Second, look at the beginning of the passage. Luke says, in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. Let me paraphrase that for you, the middle of nowhere. (laughs) She goes 80 miles into the hill country to Elizabeth's house. By the way, we know elsewhere in Luke that Elizabeth is in hiding. We'll get to that in just a minute. Kind of in hiding. Imagine the God for whom Israel has been waiting all these years makes this little appearance in a lady's house way out yonder, as my grandma would say, in the middle of nowhere. Third place in this text, God's visit happens surprisingly, in a seemingly insignificant way, He shows up in the lives of two people who during this day and age, in in, in Luke 1, are not on the who's who list of society. That's to say, He shows up in the lives of two women. Not, Not how we would think of it today, but let's add to this in Luke's cultural context these, these, these aren't just women, these are pregnant women. But wait, there's more. These women are not supposed to be pregnant, neither one of them, right? Elizabeth, her story is that she's barren and she's old. Uh, this week, a friend told me a story about one, uh, a lady that she knew in her, her, her mid-40s, had kids in their 20s, found out that she was pregnant. And for whatever reason, I I think the women here can probably surmise, when she called to tell her college student that she was pregnant, there was some sense of, I don't even know how to say this to you, college student, I'm pregnant again. Elizabeth, not supposed to be pregnant. Mary, now she's not supposed to be pregnant, but for completely different reasons, right? She's young and unwed and engaged, not supposed to be pregnant. But this is where God shows up, in this hidden place, seemingly insignificant place, two people society would write off, way out in the hill country, hidden in a womb. Amazing. There's no place, Abraham Kuyper says, where Jesus doesn't touch with his foot and claim it as mine. I'm the Lord. 
Look at our collect of the day. If you have it in your bulletin, find it. Let's apply this idea of God showing up in a hidden place. We prayed, purify our conscience by your daily visitation. Friends, here's the application. If God would visit a human womb in the hill country of Judea, among two people not on society's who's who list, there is not a single person here this Christmas and every day after, single or married, alone or with family, gay or straight, who is too small, too unimportant, too forgotten, too invisible, too middle of nowhere, too off the radar for the visitation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So get ready and take heart. God is coming to visit you no matter how off the radar you feel. Second truth from Luke 1, God's visitation. It happens to a family in the midst of their drama. Have you noticed, and I'm sure you have, that you can't have a popular Christmas movie in America without it being about some kind of family drama or chaos? Right? It's like the quintessential ingredient in, a, in an American Christmas movie is lots of family drama. Sometimes these movies just skip the Christmas part and focus on the family drama, right? Think about Home Alone. It's so much chaos is happening in that movie in the beginning, it's hard to sit through. Think about A Christmas Vacation. Cousin Eddie, I need to say no less, right? No, nothing more than that. A Christmas Story. Listen, even Rudolph is not uh, 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 free from this, this thing. You've got the little dentist guy running away from his home. You've got Rudolph running away. It's bad news, right? Family drama. I won't ask anyone to come volunteer a testimony of how your family drama is going this Christmas, but I bet it's cooking, just like mine is. These movies, like all art, by the way, pop or classic or whatever, they're just a mirror of our lives, aren't they? They just sort of feed back to us in an artful form, a picture of what we're going through. In other words, cathedral folks, your Christmas cards are absolutely stunningly beautiful. Those smiles, those white teeth that have been done up with Photoshop or whatever, but they do not fool anyone. <laughs> but there's good news for all of us who have family drama this Christmas. God's visitation in Luke 1 comes into the midst of that family drama. Where do we see this in the text? Where do we see this in the text? Well, it's kind of subtle, but let me just remind you about the characters surrounding this story of God's visitation. You've got Joseph and Mary. By the way, Mary is connected to Elizabeth. They're a family. They're cousins, Luke tells us. So, one big family. You've got Joseph, Mary, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, right? You already know Mary and Elizabeth are pregnant and not supposed to be for various reasons. Joseph is now, from all uh, uh, intents and purposes, as we see him on the outside, his friends, his reputation, he's, he's married to not the right kind of woman, it would seem, at this point. Then you've got Zechariah, husband of Elizabeth, father of John the Baptist, 
who has been a bad priest. Like, he, he doubted God in the Holy of Holies when the angel came to tell him that God was going to do something miraculous. He doubted, and God said, well, then you won't say another word. He's been a bad priest, right? Talk about family chaos. So, what's your version of drama this Christmas? I mean, don't tell me about last year's drama because I know it was different, but this year's drama. What's your chaos? Don't be fooled into believing over the next few days as the intensity heats up that your family chaos pushes God away. In this story, it's to a chaotic family that God makes His visit. And let me go further, it's actually through a chaotic family that God visits and blesses the rest of the world. Can you believe it? God is coming to visit you and you're in the midst of your family chaos. Here's the third and final observation. This is where we come to the Magnificat, page 119 of the, the Book of Common Prayer. This is the, the rest of the second half of Luke 1 that we've been studying. God's visitation in Luke 1, it's not just to an ins, uh, seemingly insignificant people and in the midst of this family chaos, but it actually has, believe it or not, epic, universal, revolutionary proportions. It's world-changing. Someone has called this song, Mary's song, the Magnificat, the first Christmas carol. Now, if that's true, its content should surprise us a lot because Mary's language is, it's more battle cry than lullaby. It's the furthest thing from away in a manger. Mary's song here is, is it's more of a fight song, literally, a warrior song, an anthem, than some kind of festival, festive sing-along, right? And whereas the story of the visitation, which comes just before this, it's so intimate. It happens between two women way out in the hill country, in the quiet, God showing up in a womb. It's a personal, intimate moment. Has, it, whereas that's the story of the visitation, all of a sudden, Mary has this sweeping, general, universal anthem of God's might and mercy. Don't miss this contrast in Luke 1, from the particular to the universal. We're talking here about a personally intimate story of a meeting between two pregnant women that has universal and world-changing implications. Mary sings of nothing less than revolution, economic, political, moral, religious, he scattered the proud. He lifted up the lowly. He cast down the mighty from their thrones. He sent away the rich. He filled the hungry. One commentator said it like this, what began as a simple visit to the home of a sidelined priest in the hill country of Judea issues forth in a pronouncement of global, political, and economic import. Another one said it this way, two marginalized pregnant women carry the future and proclaim the Messiah. This is perhaps my favorite part of today's study on God's visitation. Because put another way, it means that every mundane moment of this, your Christmas season, my friends, no matter how insignificant, how hidden, how full of chaos, every moment that you respond to God's visitation in your life you are suddenly swept up into the salvation history stream. 
God's story. It's not just the story of the Bales family and how the in-laws came and there was an argument. It's when Josh and Mindy responded with kindness or whatever. When Josh decided to finally stop being so selfish and give himself to his wife or his children. When that happened, he joined a larger story. He joined with the rest of the church in ushering in God's kingdom, His salvation plan. Every mundane moment of this Christmas, every mundane moment that you encounter God in your day-to-day life is part and parcel of the coming kingdom of God. That's what the Magnificat teaches us. Okay, I'm curious, how do you hear the phrase, hey, everybody, God's coming to visit you? How do you hear the phrase? Does it make you squirm in your seats? I hope it doesn't. There's some sense in which I'm remembering Steve Brown, my professor at at seminary, always saying this joke of everybody look busy because Jesus is coming, you know? When we hear God is coming to visit, I hope you don't hear it like look busy, the teacher's coming back. I hope you hear it like this. You probably guess that preachers don't just use theological journals and history articles and commentaries. We, we use Google. That's just a, just a… If you were to Google the phrase daily visitation, right from our Book of Common Prayer College, if you Google that phrase, you know what the search results yield? Prisons and hospitals. Prisons and hospitals. When you hear the phrase, God's coming to visit, I hope you hear it like a hospital patient hears it. I hope you hear it like a prisoner hears that a loved one is coming to visit. God is coming to visit, and He wants to do it daily in our lives. Amen.